Get ready for a one-of-a-kind experience. Welcome, welcome to the Starter Zone, your home for the weekly news from around the world. Your host for this journey, Amanda. So is it a fruit or a vegetable? She's going to bring you everything you need to hear about entertainment, gaming, and maybe just a little bit bizarre. Hold tight, because here she comes. Thank you so much, Raven, for that warm, warm welcome. Hello there, my friends, and good day to you all. Welcome to the Starter Zone. I am your guide, Amanda. It is time now to bring you the headlines from all of the entertainment news sources. Today is the 14th of December. Let's take a look at some of the headlines we will be covering. A few arrests have been made in the music world, but Ireland is saying goodbye to a legend. There's a massive deal that's been made in the Major League Baseball arena offseason. Somebody robbed John Wick? I mean, Keanu Reeves? There's a Minecraft movie in production. We'll cover some of what happened at the Gaming Awards, the box office breakdown, and a whole mess of weird news. Get comfy, my friends. Let's get started. Time to queue up some music news. So our first story today is about a rapper by the name of Quando Rondo and his most recent arrest. Apparently, the FBI is involved in this one. Courtesy of WJCL in Savannah, Georgia, let's have a listen to this story. Thanks for being with us tonight. Let's get straight to that breaking news. The Savannah man, known as rapper Quando Rondo, was arrested overnight by the Federal Bureau of Investigations. 24-year-old Taekwon Bowman was taken into custody on federal drug charges, according to an FBI spokesperson. Savannah Police was the arresting agency. They say Bowman was pulled over at Burroughs and 37th Streets around midnight Friday. SPD says he was the passenger and the only person in the car taken to jail without incident, according to a department spokesperson. Now, the federal arrest comes nearly six months after Bowman and 18 others were indicted on 49 counts of state drug and gang charges. Bowman was accused of violating the Street Gang Terrorism and Prevention Act for playing a role or managing role in the Rolling 60s gang. But his troubles didn't stop there. While out on bond in July, prosecutors say he crashed and rolled his car after an apparent overdose. Judge Tammy Stokes denied the state's motion to revoke his bond, but ordered he could no longer drive. Then in September, prosecutors tried to ban him from Chatham County. They said he was the target of several shootings and that his presence posed a threat to the rest of the county. Again, Judge Stokes sided with the defense and Bowman was able to stay out. Shortly after, I exclusively sat down with his aunt who told us since being indicted on state charges, Bowman hasn't been the same. To him, it's like, um, it's like depressing and, and aggravating, but we got faith in the law. We know the law is trying to step in for some reason and trying to wipe them off the map. 
Now here we are in December, and Bowman is back in custody, this time at a federal facility in Brunswick, according to his spokesperson. The specifics of what he's being charged with on the federal level are unclear beyond just, quote, drug charges. We expect to hear more details on Monday, but until then, you can find all of our coverage of Taekwon Bowman on our website, WJCL.com. Once again, thank you so much for that clip, WJCL from Savannah, Georgia, going over that story with us. I mean, let's review. This guy, he's arrested. It's stemming from federal drug charges. He's been previously indicted for gang and drug charges, and his family thinks that the law is just trying to railroad this guy. I, mean, I don't know. This guy's only 24 years old. Sounds to me like he might just be on the wrong path. Now, our next story, let's move to Florida. No, I mean, seriously, we really do need to live in Florida. But this time, we're going to talk about a rapper by the name of Kodak Black. He's 26 years old, and he was just arrested on drug possession charges in Florida on December the 7th, marking the musician's third arrest in just two years. The 26-year-old hip-hop artist was booked in Broward County on charges of cocaine possession, tampering with or fabricating physical evidence, and improperly parking or stopping a vehicle. Kodak Black, who is listed under his legal name of Bill Capri, was released the same day on $5,000 bond. And an arrest report was obtained by the local police station of WTVJ, and it reportedly said that Black was arrested in Plantation, Florida, after an officer found him sleeping in the driver's seat of his Bentley SUV, which was parked in the roadway. The officer allegedly noticed a strong odor of burnt cannabis upon approaching the vehicle and opened the car door to find a cup that smelled of alcohol with drug paraphernalia in the center console. Black was then asked to exit the vehicle, and when asked if he had any weapons or anything illegal in his possession, he said, yeah, I got weed. Well, the officer reportedly then noticed a white powder and noted it in the report, saying it reasonably believed Black was trying to discard illegal narcotics. NBC News reported that, according to court documents, the white powder uh, that was found at the scene did test positive for cocaine and weighed in at 4.1 grams. Kodak Black, who just released his sixth album, When I Was Dead, back in November, was ordered to a 30-day drug rehab back in February after he tested positive for fentanyl during a mandatory drug test, according to the Associated Press. And he had also reportedly had a warrant for his arrest issued in June after he skipped another mandatory drug test. Black was charged with trafficking oxycodone and possession of a controlled substance in July of 22 with regular drug testing as a condition of his release. When the musician was arrested in Pompano Beach, Florida in 2022 on allegations of trespassing, and back in 2021, he entered a plea deal guilty to first-degree assault and battery after he was accused of sexually assaulting a teenage girl in February of 2016. Kind of a messy situation. Hope he can get clean and stay clean this time. So our next story is going to take place in Ireland, Dublin to be precise. Thousands of people lined the streets of Dublin to bid farewell to singer Shane McGowan, who was the Irish London punk who transformed Irish traditional music with the band The Pogues. A marching band led his funeral procession through central Dublin on December the 8th as the crowd sang beloved songs like Dirty Old Town, the folk classic that McGowan and the Pogues helped to make popular. I'm back my love. By the gasworks wall. Dreams a dream by the all. 
Well, the small town of Nina in County Tipperary had never witnessed anything quite like this. As the great and the good of both the political and music worlds gathered to say goodbye to the Pogue singer. Hundreds more crowded outside of St. Mary of the Rosary Church, lining the streets to pay their respects. Nina was abuzz as schools ended up closing early and workers were switching their shifts just to try to get a coveted spot on one of the church pews for this historic send-off. A procession of famous faces proceeded into the church with even Johnny Depp waving to the crowds as he arrived. He was joined by Australian singer Nick Cave, Hot House Flowers frontman Liam O'Mainly, Bobby Gillespie from Primal Scream, and Game of Thrones actor Aidan Gillen. The parish priest, Father Pat Gilbert, captured the mood when he welcomed the world to the local church. It was far from what you would might consider to be a somber affair. The funeral was filled with music, laughter and appreciation and time and again the walls of this old church just seemed to shake as spontaneous rounds of applause would break out and then there was the music nick cave took to the piano for a stunning rendition of a rainy night in soho while glenn hansard and lisa o'neill belted out a really good version of fairy tale of new york during the finale one man fell on top of an old woman as he tried to get a good shot on his phone she got back up and just kept singing her heart out this, to me, it was just an absolutely proper send-off to a wonderful wonderful performer. And honestly, this is the kind of funeral I would love to have been a part of or to have for myself. You want, you know, happiness and laughter. Some of the videos that were posted showing the funeral were showing the family and friends dancing in the aisles. I mean, here we have this beautiful Catholic church, and we're dancing and we're singing, and we're just, we're celebrating a life. And it was fantastic. So, Condolences to the family, but like I said, this was a beautiful send-off. If you get a chance to see the video, I, I do highly recommend it. Now, let's go check out some sports news. Sunday night football was upon us, and the Philadelphia Eagles were facing the Dallas Cowboys where it was announced that the Eagles' security, security chief, Dom DeSandro, had been barred by the NFL for being on the sidelines. Apparently, he was ejected in last week's game for scuffling with the 49ers linebacker. So DeSandro is allowed to travel with the team, and he was able to perform all of his work duties when the 10-2 Philadelphia Eagles visited Dallas of 9-3. But just can't go to the sidelines. Apparently, what happened is he got into it with a the receiver, um, Dre Greenlaw. DeSandro pulls Greenlaw off of the Eagles wide receiver, Devonta Smith, and started shouting at him after a reception in the third quarter of this game. Greenlaw was actually penalized for unnecessary roughness on the play, and he popped up and he reached over two officials to put his hand in DeSandro's face. So Greenlaw actually ends up getting ejected. But then DeSandro was also told to leave, he ended up walking to the locker room and got a roaring ovation from the Philadelphia Eagles fans. Greenlaw said on Wednesday that he and DeSandro had sent apologies through intermediaries 
after San Francisco's 42-19 victory over Philadelphia and says he holds no ill, Ill will, you know, it's just the heat of the moment. Greenlaw was actually fined $10,927 by the league for the unnecessary roughness penalty. This is the third personal foul on Greenlaw this season, and his ejection, second one in the past two years. He also got tossed from a game last season for a hit to the head of Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert. Now, the NFL sent a memo to teams on Wednesday reiterating a policy that states non-player personnel are prohibited from making physical contact, taunting, or directing insults to opposing players or officials. The memo also said only game officials or coaches should try to break up any altercations. And the, the league said any violations could lead to fines or suspensions. Whoa, no touchy. No touchy. No touch. Dallas would end up winning this skirmish 33-13 over the Eagles, improving to 10-3. and Now, if you have ever listened to my show before, you know I love baseball. And while I am not a fan of the Los Angeles Angels, I am very well aware of their two-time AL MVP pitcher, Shohei Otani. Ahead of his 30th birthday on July the 5th, he had a .274 average with 171 home runs, 437 RBIs, and 86 stolen bases, along with a 39-19 and 19 record with a 3.01 ERA and 608 strikeouts. Absolutely amazing numbers, and I can understand why he's an MVP. But now he is saying sayonara to L.A. and is moving to L.A. Wait, okay, all jokes aside. Otani came up for free agency at the end of the season. And after an agonizing time, I mean, he announced November the 2nd he was a free agent. And he issued a news release on December the 9th that he has signed a 10-year contract with the L.A. Dodgers, a team that's 30 minutes away from Los Angeles Angels team. That's a pretty cool enough story, I suppose. But the real story is how much did the Dodgers sign him for? So Otani set a financial record. He's getting $700 million to make this 30-mile move of the Interstate 5 to the Dodger Stadium. His agent issued that news release back on December the 9th, announcing that it is a 10-year contract, which ends months of speculations that began before he even became the free agent in November. In recent days, media and fans alike have tracked private plane movements and alleged sightings like detectives in attempts to discern the intentions of Otani. Look, sports fans can get kind of rabid, and especially in the offseason when he's such a hot property, people want to know, where's the, where is he going? His average salary of $70 million is 62% among the previous high of $43 million, shared by pitchers Matt, Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander with deals that they struck with the New York Mets. But hey, you know, $70 million here, no pressure to perform, right? This is perhaps the largest contract in sports history, topping highs that were believed to have been set by Lionel Messi and Kylian Mbappe of the soccer world. Otani said in an English-language statement on Instagram, quote, I apologize for taking so long to come to a decision. I would like to express my sincere gratitude to everyone involved with the Angels organization and the fans who have supported me over the past six years as well as to everyone involved with each team that was part of this negotiation process. 
And to all Dodgers fans, I pledge to always do what's best for the team and always continue to give it my all to be the best version of myself. Until the last day of my playing career, I want to continue to strive forward not only for the Dodgers, but for the baseball world, unquote. Otani is joining a lineup that also includes the 2018 American League MVP, Mookie Betts, and the 2020 National League MVP of Freddie Freeman, former Braves player. The Dodgers won the National League West this year for the 10th time in 11 seasons, but eh, they were swept by Arizona Diamondbacks in the division series back in October. Los Angeles will begin the 2024 season in Seoul, South Korea, playing against the San Diego Padres on March the 20th and 21st. Now, who's ready for some entertainment news? So I wasn't really sure exactly how to start this next story, but let's just start with this. People are a little crazy sometimes, and they can make some bad decisions. And I really question this one. But I mean, so far, they've gotten away with it. But at what cost? Keanu Reeves's home has once again been targeted. And law enforcement sources are saying burglars in ski masks broke into his place and fled the area before officers arrived. That's right, the home of Neo and John Wick. Now, we're told the actor's L.A. home was burglarized Wednesday, December the 6th in the evening, with LAPD responding to an anonymous call about a possible trespasser at the property at around 7 p.m. So cops arrived on the scene, they conducted a search, and found no one. But then the following report says that the police were back again at around 1 a.m. in the morning, so 1 in the morning, when an alarm sounded on the property. This time, officers say they found several men in ski masks. They were spotted on the security cams, smashing a window and entering the house. And according to sources, the culprits took one firearm from the home before making a run for it. It's unclear if anything else was taken. Keanu was not at home at the time. So detectives are still looking at clues and videos from the house and around the neighborhood just for more clues. And we're told one thing they're specifically specifically looking into is whether the first call to cops was made by someone who was scoping the house. The John Wick star's home has been at the center of similar attempts in the past. Two back-to-back intruders back in 2014. He was also granted a temporary restraining order against an alleged stalker who says he showed up at the home earlier sometime this year. All I can say right now is stay safe, Keanu. All right, were y'all aware of this upcoming live-action Minecraft movie starring Jason Momoa, of all people. This was apparently announced back in 2019, and after many delays due to, well, everything from COVID to actor strikes and writer strikes, it looks like the film is actually starting to fill its casting list. So far confirmed to be joining Momoa is Matt Berry, Danielle Brooks, and Sebastian Eugene Hansen. And we just now got confirmation that Emma Myers is set to join. Emma is best known for playing Enid Sinclair. She's the ultra peppy roommate of Wednesday Adams in the Netflix mega hit Wednesday. Curiously, very little else has been released about this movie. It was confirmed a late December filming date. It's just it's being kind of spitballed right now. But there's just currently no plot details. 
or even who's getting the writing credits on the video game adaptation script. We don't know if this is a Steve and Daisy video. We don't know if it's completely new characters. Is it going to follow the Max Brooks uh, book, The Island? We don't know yet. All we know is that it was originally described by developers, uh, the Mojang developers, as this, you know, the story of a teenage girl and her unlikely group of adventurers as they're trying to take on the Ender Dragon. And it's just taken so many years to reach this point. But they did confirm Napoleon Dynamite's Jared Hess will be directing this movie. And currently, the release date is April the 4th of 2025. Now, let's go download some gaming news. The 10th Annual Game Awards was streamed live from the Peacock Theater in L.A. back on December the 7th. And it was filmed across more than 30 platforms, including YouTube and Twitch, Facebook, TikTok Live, and Twitter X. And as always, I mean, the ceremony was packed with surprises, including the announcement of EA Originals' upcoming title, Tales of Kinsera, and Sega's reveal that they're rebooting a couple of retro franchises, including Crazy Taxi, Streets of Rage, Golden Axe, Jet Set Radio, and Shinobi. Now, the big winner at the Game Awards? Recognize that one? That one's Baldur's Gate 3. They were the big winner at this award ceremony. They snagged six trophies, including Game of the Year. They also earned Best Community Support, Best RPG, Best Multiplayer, Player's Voice, and Best Performance for Asterian actor Neil Newbun. Now, Alan Wake 2, another big release this year, they took home Best Game Direction, Best Narrative, Best Art Direction, while The Last of Us took Best Adaptation to a TV series. All right, now let's switch gears and we're going to talk about Kai Sinat. We've talked about him before. He was the one who started that riot for the PS5 giveaway a while back. He's arguably one of the most prominent streamers on Twitch, whether you like him or not. And indeed, the entire internet scoring a wildly popular show with his fellow star, I Show Speed, on Rumble earlier this year. Over the years, Kai has skyrocketed, just absolutely blasted to, inter- to online fame. He's got, I think, the last count, over 8 million followers on Twitch. And he's breaking subscriber records left and right. Now, Kai is busting out of his status as a social media star to start appearing in short films and even, honestly, bigger movies. Y'all, he was in Good Burger 2 that came out just a couple weeks ago. However, his more recent project resulted in a, quote, major injury for the streamer. And it actually landed him in the hospital, leaving fans worried about his condition. Back on December the 4th, the official Kai Mafia Updates account on Twitter X claimed that Sanat had reportedly sustained a severe injury while filming a music video for his YouTube group AMP. Now, Kai didn't stream that day. He was confirmed that he was injured and hospitalized, so he took the day off, which, of course, got people really wildly concerned. Now, he confirmed the news in a string of replies to that same post on Twitter X saying he wasn't streaming. And he was referencing his excitement over the GTA 6 trailer that had been released the same day. He really downplayed his injury to talk about GTA 6. And he was later discharged from the hospital. 
ended up going live that night explaining what happened to confused fans during his broadcast. Now, I'm not going to play his explanation. It's a little too profanity-filled for me, but let me see if I can do a little justice. He said, quote, we did hockey, right? We did A&P hockey, and there was a part where we had to get physical. All I have to say is somebody, and I'm not going to say who, somebody pushed me, and I fell directly onto my face. My two bunny teeth went through and pinched my lip, and I got up from the floor, and all I could see is blood, and part of my lip was missing, end quote. Now, luckily, Kai was able to continue streaming and appears to be doing pretty well in spite of the lip injury, although it definitely seems like his excitement over the GTA 6 reveal was able to really successfully distract him from the incident. Now, okay, speaking of Twitch, let's let's pause there for a second. In a letter from the CEO, Dan Clancy, Twitch streamers in South Korea have now been notified that the live streaming platform will terminate all services in the country February 27th of 2024. Twitch recently drew attention for banning a top Call of Duty streamer, and this recently announced shutdown is once again sparking a lot of conversations about the platform's decisions regarding its community. People are talking. People are talking a lot about what Twitch is doing. One of the largest live streaming platforms, Twitch has received just mixed attention this year alone for some of its streamers' activities, along with what may be considered questionable corporate decisions, I guess. Now, while the site is really a go-to for many content creators and viewers, South Koreans are completely going to lose access to the site. It's one of the largest platforms in Korea. I mean, look, Korea has basically dominated the League of Legends scene for years. So I know they have good viewership for that, at least during the season. But all partners and affiliates will be formally off-boarded on June the 4th, though assistance will be provided um, prior to the date. They're literally going to help these guys transform, uh, transfer excuse me, to other platforms. Suggestions for South Korean streamers include taking advantage of simulcasting, getting accounts set up on alternative sites. Now, the CEO, Dan Clancy, he made a note that Twitch will be working with other services to assist in this transfer process. And while it has been easy in the past for top streamers on Twitch to diversify their platforms, Many of the South Korean creators are just simply left wondering what lies ahead. The video game and the streaming industry have faced a number of unexpected announcements regarding business shutdowns and a lot of company layoffs just this year alone. And Twitch has been at the center of a lot of surprising changes. The giant of streaming recently announced the removal of the Twitch app. We talked about this on the Nintendo Switch. And this upcoming shutdown of the South Korean servers has really, again, pushed users to seek out other services. And they, you know, the only thing they really have said as to why is just it's no longer financially feasible. They literally have came out and said, and this is something from Dan Clancy, was that they've operated at a loss in South Korea for a long time and they just can't do it anymore. They said that the, because of the fees, the licensing fees, and how South Korea runs its internet over there, they've just never been able to make enough. So they had to make the, what they call the difficult decision to go ahead and shut down. Um, they're giving the streamers a lot of time. They're not just you know yanking the, the rug out from underneath them. So they are giving them that. I'll give them that much credit. It's just it's a difficult decision. 
Um, I mean, I've watched a lot of the, the League League of Legends coverage. I used to watch that quite a bit. South Korea absolutely, absolutely dominated. Um, the fan base, huge, absolutely huge. But the game doesn't run all year, and the coverage doesn't run all year. So to expect that to prop up Twitch in Korea, really, it's just it wasn't feasible. So it's a hard decision, I agree. I think giving them plenty of time to change over is, is very admirable admirable excuse me now in other news other ocean interactive and skybound games developer and publisher of the walking dead betrayal game they've also announced they're stopping development on the social deduction game and they're removing it from steam this announcement comes just three months after the game was even released in early access this has disappointed a lot of fans and the development team behind it so this game was an asymmetrical multiplayer game, and it hinged on the collaboration of anywhere from five to eight players. They tackled objectives with a trader among them. I like these formats. They're pretty fun. And the traders were attempting to derail the progress uh, undetected. So think Among Us type game in the Walking Dead universe. But they also had the added tension of lingering walkers from the Walking Dead, players they just had their fair share of antagonists to overcome but player counts started to dwindle after the initial post release leaving the game and its players in a pretty difficult position with a peak of 21 players last month and an average daily player count lingering in the single digits it's just nearly impossible for this online multiplayer title to thrive the process of removal from steam began back on december the 11th and a full shutdown is expected December 15th. All players will be granted a full refund either through Steam or the relevant retailers. Updates on acquiring refunds and the process of shutting down the game is available on both the game's official Discord server and on Steam. After the success of their game Project Winter, other Ocean Interactive's previous social strategy game, the struggle befalling The Walking Dead Betrayal, it's just really an unfortunate fallout. I mean, in their announcement, Skybound Games explained, despite the hard work put into the game, we were not able to find a path to build the spirited community of backstabbers that we originally envisioned. And while the community may not have been large enough to uphold gameplay, there seems to be fans still disappointed in the removal of the game, as well as collectors insisting the game remain in their library. For those that played Project Winter, the gameplay concept of The Walking Dead Betrayal is pretty familiar, but with the added bonus of the zombies and post-death play opportunities and the franchise collaboration, it had similar gameplay concept. Uh, it was still being determined why The Walking Dead Betrayal just didn't amass a similarly sized community. Now, unfortunately, online multiplayer experiences do require that dedicated fan base that the developers anticipated and after a reflection on the situation, it was just deemed the best path forward was just to cease development. So Skybound Games did thank their fans for playing and for giving feedback in hopes to provide new experiences for their supporters and fans of The Walking Dead in the future. I just personally have to wonder if the fans are just burned out with The Walking Dead. That series, the, the, just the, the TV series, we're not talking about the manga, the TV series, spanned 11 seasons. It ran from 2010 to 2022. It spawned various spinoffs, other games. So, I mean, so maybe it's just time to
to let the walking dead rest and stay dead for just a little while. Now, what happened at the box office this past weekend? Let's find out. It's time for the box office breakdown. Last week, Queen Beyonce was number one, so how did she hold up to some new releases? It's very safe to say she didn't hold up, actually. Renaissance, a film by Beyonce, fell 74.9% from number one all the way down to number five for this week. So who was it that landed at number one? If you guessed Hayao Miyazaki's The Boy and the Heron, you would be right. They grossed $12.8 million for the number one spot. Now, for some perspective, because that does sound like a, you know, a really small number, right? For some perspective, Heron was released in 2,205 theaters. Miyazaki's Oscar-winning Spirited Away back in 2001 never reached any further than 714 venues, and it grossed a total of just $10 million in the initial release. So for a film of this caliber, this is actually pretty remarkable. And it's a very remarkable show of respect for a filmmaker who has just dazzled his fans for decades. Only Disney's release of Ponyo back in the summer of 2008 grossed more than Heron at this point. It took in $15.74 million. And that is likely to be surpassed by this coming weekend, honestly. If this had just been another Disney release, the numbers would certainly look pretty, really bad. But this is a special release with special numbers on the domestic side. Now, Miyazaki's films have had solid international successes even before the re-releases. Spirited Away took over $274.9 million. Howl's Moving Castle, 235. Ponyo, 204. Princess Mononoke, personal favorite, 159. The Boy and the Heron is well on its way to that list. It has taken internationally 96 million. So this could turn out to be one heck of a swan song for Hayao Miyazaki and a beautiful send-off. Remaining in second place in its fourth weekend is Lion Gate, The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. It took $9.4 million. Total, 135 pretty solid honestly sticking around in third place with 8.3 million is toho's godzilla minus one that film was expected to just have a single week's run but giving it given its turnout and the subsequent enthusiasm for a godzilla movie they extended the run and it's now gotten 25.3 million dollars domestically continuing trolls band together stayed in fourth place again this week it dropped down 23% and took in $6.2 million. The one film that did take a massive fall was Renaissance. It was specifically down. It took in $21.8 million in its debut. It took in five, $5 million this past week. That's pretty much right in line with the concert document films that were released back in the 2008 and 2013 period. But we kind of have, I guess, this overinflated sense of success because of what Taylor Swift's you know, concert film did so respectable for Beyonce. I think it just, I don't think anybody expected it to fall that quickly. Where did Disney's Wish come in? Some, I had a couple of people asking about that one. 
because nobody's really talking about it. But Wish took the sixth spot, 5.4 million. And it's 29% drop is hardly a consolation. Okay, so it's a minor drop, but it still hasn't even reached 50 million domestically in the first three weeks. I had to go look that up. That seems incredible to me. Wish has literally only taken in 49 million in three weeks of release for a Disney film. That seems insane. But what is coming this weekend? All right, I'm going to give you a clue. You got that one. Wonka fans rejoice. Wonka is returning to the big screen this weekend with Timothy Chalamet in the title role. But also, Jason Momoa is returning next week with the release of Aquaman 2 on Wednesday the 20th. This is one we have all been waiting for as we witness the fallout from the Amber Heard-Johnny Depp hearings as well as the announcement of the DC Universe reboot. Even with the announcement that Momoa is actually going to be staying in the DC Universe just as the character called Lobo, I don't think personally that it's enough to make this one a last-minute blockbuster. But I am looking forward to seeing how well Wonka does. This is going to be really interesting. Wonka is literally the story of how Willy Wonka got his empire started, uh, joining with the Oompa Loompas to lead into what we've seen with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and the Willy Wonka movie. So... I would like to see this one. There's a little bit of controversy with it in regards to the Oompa Loompa played by a huge Hugh Grant versus last time the Johnny Depp version, uh, the Tim Burton Johnny Depp version. They had uh, Deep Roy play the part of the Oompa Loompas. And I did watch a behind the scenes on that one. That one's actually pretty fascinating how they, they did use the one actor for all the Oompa Loompas versus the 1970s version that they did had different people doing it. Um, but it was literally a mix of CGI and puppetry along with a lot of work for Deep Roy. So there's a little bit of controversy there, but I've seen the previews of it and the trailers, and it does look pretty magical. So I'm hoping that one does fairly well. We'll see the, the fallout, like I said, for the Aquaman, the finality of the Aquaman series as we know it. Um, I thought Momoa did a good job with Aquaman. I wasn't overly thrilled with the rest of the cast, but I thought Momoa did good. So as those numbers roll in, we will report them. Now, for a special treat, I found four different odd stories this week. I just couldn't resist bringing up. And now, for something different. For our first story, I need to do a little bit of background. An MRI machine is used in hospitals and clinics. And it's a type of diagnostic test that can create pretty detailed images of nearly every structure and organ inside of a body. It is really cool stuff. Now, MRI, they use magnets and radio waves to produce images on a computer for study. They don't use ionizing radiation, but there's a key word to everything I just said. Magnets. Patients that will be getting a scan are expressly told, do not keep any metal on your body as it will be attracted to the magnets in the machine. You have to let them know if you've got like a plate in your arm, if you're wearing metal jewelry, that's got to come off. You can kind of maybe see where I'm going with this, but go ahead Take a shot at guessing what happens next. Did anybody guess a gun? Because guess what? A 57-year-old Wisconsin woman was shot in the buttocks by her own gun because she tried to bring the weapon into the bore of an MRI machine. By the way, the bore is that opening in the machine where you slide in. Just, 
No, FYI. So according to the adverse event report that was submitted to the FDA, quote, a patient was brought into the magnet room with a concealed Ferris handgun. In the process of entering the bore, the handgun was attracted to the magnet and fired a single round. The patient received a gunshot wound in the right buttock area. The patient was then examined by a physician at the site who described the entry and exit holes as very small and superficial, only penetrating the subcutaneous tissue. Per protocol, the patient was taken to the hospital and the patient later informed the site that they were okay and they were healing well. The site reported that prior to the exam, the patient had undergone a standard screening procedure for ferrous objects, which includes weapons specifically, and they answered no to all screening questions, unquote. So basically, she concealed this thing really well and then lied on the questionnaire. This is actually the second story that I've heard about this happening. The first one happened just last February, and it was a Brazilian man who was shot and killed by his own gun because he carried it into an MRI room as well. But thankfully, Miss Wisconsin here survived. All right, now, speaking of killer things, Saugus, Massachusetts, a man by the name of Patrick Kenny Jr. was leaving Saugus's Kowloon restaurant when, according to authorities, Kenny fell and stabbed himself with his necklace knife. Let me repeat that just so we're clear. A necklace knife. It's a necklace that has a real knife hanging on it. So common sense and a little bit of self-preservation makes it hard for me to believe that this kind of thing exists in the world, but I checked. Amazon has dozens of these little things for sale. Now, it's really unclear exactly how Kenny fell, But what is clear is that he actually passed away from his injuries, leaving behind a wife and two young children. Oh my God, they killed Kenny! Kenny's bereaved family issued the following statement. Our family is mourning the loss of Patrick, focused on his wife Lauren and two young children, and trying to make sense of this horrific tragedy. Patrick was a loving father, a husband and brother, son and loyal friend to many. This is a horrible tragedy, unquote. It really is a horrible tragedy. It's senseless because there's no explanation. My my only guess, obviously, I'm not there, but considering where it is and the time of year it is, it's probably likely that he slipped on some ice and the necklace was just pointed wrong. Absolute condolences to his family. This is just such an odd way to go. Now, our next story, it's a little more moving. Watching buildings being relocated I'll be completely, it's pretty amazing how they do this. I mean, the engineering and science involved is just, it's incredible. But sometimes they just show such ingenuity. Let me show you. A former hotel in Nova Scotia, Canada was moved by a construction firm with the help of 700 bars of ivory soap, probably left over from housekeeping. Halifax's Elwood Building, which was built as a home in 1826 and then converted into the Victorian Elmwood Hotel in 1896, was slated for demolition back in 2018, but it was saved by a sale to Galaxy Properties. They announced plans to move the structure closer to the street and put it on a new foundation so they could connect it to a planned apartment building. The building, 220 tons, was successfully moved by a crew from S. Rushton Construction, which shared a time-lapse video of the move on Facebook. Company owner Sheldon Rushton said the Elmwood was pulled 30 feet across a steel frame by two excavators and a tow truck and said that instead of using rollers, 
the team decided to use the 700 bars of ivory soap to make the building glide across the frame. He said ivory soap specifically because it's particularly soft and makes for a very smooth move. Rushton did say that the Elmwood would be moved again in the near future once the new foundation is completed. Sounds to me like the operation went squeaky clean. Jeez, everyone's a critic. All right. I was not aware that we had successfully started growing vegetables in space, but apparently we have. Eight months ago, on board the International Space Station, an astronaut by the name of Frank Rubio was actually accused of eating one of the first tomatoes harvested in space after it went missing. But now members of the International Space Station crew said that the the astronaut, Rubio, has now been cleared of all tomato-eating allegations. NASA astronaut Jasmine Mogbelli said during a live stream event celebrating the 25th anniversary of the station that the remains of the tiny, tiny little tomato had been found. Rubio actually returned to Earth back in September and had been the target of a bunch of joking accusations for like months that he had eaten the space-grown fruit. Mogbelli said our good friend Frank Rubio, who headed home already, has been blamed for quite a while for eating the tomato, but we can exonerate him. We found it. Rubio said during a September International Space Station live stream, he said, I spent so many hours looking for that thing. I'm sure the desiccated tomato will show up at some point and vindicate me, even if it's years in the future. Now, the astronauts didn't reveal where the tomato was found or what its condition was, but Rubio had earlier predicted that it would be in a state of advanced decay due to the, the humidity aboard the station. So it's now a rotten tomato. Okay, I said rotten, not killer. Please don't let them be killer. Don't bring them back. Let them stay in space. It's, they're fine. They're fine. So this last week, we dealt with some missing tomatoes. We had a few arrests in the music industry. We said goodbye to an Irish legend who got a proper send-off. Record-breaking contracts and a break-in at Keanu's house. Minecraft, the gaming awards, game shutdowns, Twitch going off the air in South Korea. We have a new hit at the box office and an MRI that went wrong. Never really a dull moment, though, is there? Thank you guys so much for joining me today. I do want to remind you, I include the links all of my sources in the comments so you can see what I see and more. Also, don't forget to drop a comment or send us an email if there's a story you want us to cover. Join us next time as we check out the latest in the entertainment news. Remember, guys, stay comfy in the starter zone. This is Amanda. Good luck and have fun. Listening to The Starter Zone with Amanda. I am Raven. We thank you for your time and support. Without you, we simply would not be. Please hit that like and subscribe button and visit us on Facebook and Twitter at The Starter Zone. Have we missed something? Have something to say? Leave us a comment or 
send us audio clips for your chance to be on the show. We invite you to come back for more exciting news and commentary on the world around you. See you next time in the Starter Zone.